This is The Guardian. Today, can Twitter survive Elon Musk? And can Musk survive Twitter? It's the deal that Twitter's executives initially didn't want, and then they did, and that Elon Musk wanted until he didn't anymore. But last week... Elon took over Twitter today. Yeah. Like, we live in a simulation. No, that's the best. That crazy bastard did it. After months of legal wrangling, it happened. Posted the following simple declaration. The bird is freed. The world's richest man, the entrepreneur Elon Musk, became the new private owner of Twitter. And Alex Hearn, The Guardian's UK technology editor, was watching his first day in charge. Let's start with the kitchen sink. Let's start with the He kitchen. posted on Twitter a video of him entering the company's headquarters carrying a basin. The joke there is that he is in the building and he wants Twitter staff for that to sink in. The idea that this is real, that he really The next 24 hours were kind of a, a bit of a flurry of some small changes from the outside, but significant ones. The one thing he did do first off is change his Twitter bio to Chief Twit, whatever, whatever that means. So, like it or hate it, Twitter is one of the most prominent. Um, his actual title, very boringly, is Chief Executive Officer. Uh, the homepage of the site for logged out users changed. This is something that in previous times would have been weeks of debates between top executives. Now Musk walks in, says the change should be made, and it happens. And part of the reason what happened was there were no more top executives because... And Elon Musk's first order of business was wiping clean the leadership team, sacking the CEO and several other top executives. A significant chunk of Twitter's executive team was, was sacked unceremoniously. They are not leaving empty-handed. Some reports have emerged. Top officials walk away with handsome severance payouts. You know, he's, he's in charge. He, a week in is very, very clear that Twitter is now the fiefdom of one person, that there are no sacred cows, that what he wants goes. And I think kind of the question for the future is, what does he want? From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, what Elon Musk wants and why making his Twitter dream a reality might be harder than he thinks. Alex, the last time we spoke to you about Twitter was back in the spring of this year, and Musk had just had his bid for the company accepted. And then he tried to back out of the deal, and it went to the courts, until last week, all of a sudden, he owned Twitter. What happened? It's unclear, really, Um, because it's unclear why any of this happens, because Elon Musk is not a normal public company chief executive. So, Elon, um, a few hours ago, you made an offer to buy Twitter. (laughs) Why? Um, Well, I think it's very important for uh, there to be an inclusive arena for free speech, uh, where all, (laughs) so, uh, yeah. And so he made his takeover bid. 
And then he tried to pull his takeover no, bid. Musk is trying to back out of buying the social media giant, saying Twitter is withholding vital information about the number of users, actual human users on its platform. Versus his stated reasons are that in the process of finalizing the deal back in spring, he learned that Twitter's user numbers may be off. And he came to believe that there were more spam accounts than Twitter had said. This is from a man whose stated reason for buying Twitter was that there are spam accounts. Well, a top priority I have, I would have, is is eliminating the the spam and and scam bots, um, and the bot armies that are in Twitter. And he thinks he could do a better job of fighting. It just the claims didn't add up, and the unspoken assumption of almost everyone involved is that what actually happened is there was an absolutely enormous crash in public markets, which significantly affected tech stocks. The open market value of Twitter plunged far below the amount of money that Elon Musk had offered to buy it. Elon Musk's own wealth plunged additionally because so much of it is wrapped up in Tesla. And he just looked at this bid that he'd made that was, let's say, carried out on a whim and decided it wasn't worth it. His lawyer has just sent a letter to Twitter to say the deal is off to buy. The, the problem is you're not actually allowed to do that. You can't, if you've made a binding bid offer, simply change your mind. So we went to court. We had these back and forths. And then Elon Musk has again reversed course and agreed to buy Twitter after months of legal battles. Musk changed his mind again. He agreed to honor the deal at full price and said he would close it before the end of the month. Today's decision comes just two weeks before a trial was set to begin that sought to compel him to follow through on the agreement. It's, you know, again, it's unclear why he changed his mind. My guess is there's two reasons. One is that he was staring down a court case that was just going very poorly for him. So I think he felt like if he was going to lose anyway, he may as well give in. And also he may as well give in before he's deposed. And so in the end, the easiest thing for Elon Musk to do was to spend $44 billion on buying Twitter, the, the third largest take private ever, the largest ever to be organized by one man and funded largely by his private wealth. But we ended up in late October with that being the easiest outcome for Elon Musk to just do it. Yeah, but he, now he owns SpaceX if he wants to see the heavens and he owns Twitter if he wants to see hell. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> So, Alex, you told us about Elon Musk's eventful first day on the job. Tell me about the rest of his first week. What else did he get up to? A lot has gone on behind the scenes. He has begun clearing house. And Elon Musk's first order of business was wiping clean the leadership team, sacking the CEO and several other top executives. Those executives were sacked on day one, but he has, it's been reported an intention to sack 25% of Twitter staff, an absolutely enormous clearing of house. It's being carried out with great haste, and it sounds, from reports inside the company, an awful lot like he's doing something pretty close to just sacking the people who have written the fewest lines of code in the last month. It's a bit like walking into a building site and just sacking the 25% of people who've laid the fewest bricks. You might get rid of some lazy bricklayers, right? But you might also get rid of the person who does the plumbing. There is, I'm sure, some more complex decisions that have gone into who has lost their job than, than purely lines of code. But at the same time, you know, day two, 
employees were told to literally print out on paper their last 30 days of contributions and bring them to Musk and some hand-picked Tesla engineers who he'd brought over from his other company to prove that they were doing a good job. And the sackings have already started. This is not a wide-ranging root and branch review that identifies uh, over-resourced teams. This is something far more aggressive, far quicker than, than any of that. Beyond that, you know, those those job losses are the most severe actual change done, but we've also had Musk proposing and sort of enacting some pretty serious changes to how Twitter works. Just moments ago, he tweeted as part of a thread, power to the people, blue for $8 a month. This is the blue tick that around 400,000 Twitter users have that marks them as having been verified as real in some way. And and Elon Musk has ordered a team of engineers with with a week deadline to build the tools that would be needed to start charging for this status. Trickling out, we know there was a lot of back and forth between him and author Stephen King about the price. And it's an odd push. It's like so much of what we'll be talking about. It's something that makes sense in the abstract. It is an idea that sort of floats charging Twitter's most dedicated users some money to retain a symbol that many of them see as, you know, a, a mark of their importance on the social network. How do I feel about that? I, it sounds We're like both it, verified, it right? Sounds like it's going to happen. You know, like you have 90 days. What do I get from being verified? It, it makes you feel good. Makes you feel good. But it's also something that undercuts Musk's own goal that he stated when he first made his acquisition bid in April of authenticating all humans. You know, if you want to tackle spam bots by asking more people to prove who they are, whacking a fee on it doesn't seem like it's the right way to go. And if we are to take that Musk cares about platform health, cares about verification, cares about ensuring that people are who they say they are, well, He's also been a little cavalier with the truth himself. Elon Musk tweeted and then deleted a link to an unfounded conspiracy theory which prompted Bay Area Congresswoman Jackie Speer to get involved. While going through all of this, took the time to tweet at Hillary Clinton a baseless conspiracy theory about an assassination attempt on Nancy Pelosi that, that ended up hospitalizing her husband, Paul. This is very Musk. First thing that came to mind is that he is really uh, confirming for all of us folks who are watching um, what we feared could be the worst outcome of uh, his takeover of, of Twitter. But it's not exactly the sort of behavior that you would expect from someone who is trying to focus all of their attention on a $44 billion acquisition of a major social media platform. This is, you know, these are the shit posts of someone who's bored at work. Wow. What a week. What a first week. I mean, the printing out of code, the indiscriminate sackings, the half-baked ideas, the tweeting out of fake news. Alex, from the outside, all of this looks a little bit bizarre. Is there any method to what appears to be madness on the part of Musk? There is. I... I keep trying to be positive and fair about this. Um, I I think one of the things that's important to have in the background here is that Twitter is in a bad state. It was in a bad state before Elon Musk acquired it. 
um, there is space for someone to do what I believe Musk intends, which is come in with a firm vision for what Twitter can be, isolate it from the need to report ever-increasing quarterly revenue, ever-increasing user signups, and shift it into something that is proud of what it is, has a vision of how it can serve its users best, and embraces its position and role in the national conversation of America and the global conversation. Musk himself is a heavy Twitter user. He clearly isn't completely addicted to reading Twitter, like many people are, but he is addicted to posting on it. And I think he thinks that that, combined with what is absolutely a pretty natural sense of his own abilities, means that he's convinced that he is the strong leader who can do that at Twitter. And that's not outlandish, right? This is the thing about Elon Musk. Elon Musk is someone who has multiple times marched into an industry as an outsider, committed to doing something that the existing giants say is impossible and succeeding. That is the positive story of Tesla. That is the positive story of SpaceX. That is even vaguely the story of PayPal, right? These are three companies that Musk had a hand in the growth of, the creation of, that have marched into industries, financial services, space flight, automotive engineering, and changed the game. Okay, so to get a sense of what Musk's plans might be for Twitter, let's see what he did with those earlier businesses, with Tesla, with SpaceX. What was the Musk approach to revolutionising those industries? I think it's quite important to note that kind of there wasn't a Musk approach. Each of them had this mind-boggling goal at the center of it, right? For for SpaceX, that was first reusable rockets that vastly reduced the price of getting into space and later going to Mars. Um, for Tesla, there was a stated goal, which was build a high-quality electric sports car, use that to fund the creation of an electric luxury sedan, use that to fund the creation of a mass-market electric car. Tesla has notably never achieved that final goal, and Elon Musk in recent years has changed that final stage to self-driving cars. In both of those cases, though, I think what's important was having as a base goal doing something that other companies weren't even trying to do because they thought it would be impossible. And that, that I think, is the telling thing for Twitter, right? If Musk is right, if we take him at his positive, then what he's doing by saying he will run a Twitter that is a free speech-focused social network that charges its power users to have this verified status, that operates with a vastly smaller staffing team than other titans of the network... What he's doing there, what he thinks he's doing, is akin to what he did with SpaceX and Tesla. It's kind of explicitly looking for promises that he can make that will get him told, you're an idiot, that's going to fail. Because it's sort of only by chasing that sort of promise that you can beat the established titans. 
So his approach then, to the extent that there is a Musk approach, is to shoot for the moon, or I guess in this case Mars, and even if you fail, you still land in the stars. But for Twitter, what is the moonshot? What is his big vision for how it works in Elon Musk's ideal world? Musk's big vision is for Twitter to be the public sphere. Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. Um, So uh, it's just really important that people have both the the reality and the perception uh, that they are able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. Um, and And he seems sincere about his worry that Twitter isn't currently fulfilling that job. What that means to him is a bunch of things. Crucially, it reflects on moderation. He thinks that Twitter is going too far in trying to chase what's called platform safety, in trying to keep the conversation civil, in trying to remove hate speech and misinformation. He thinks the way of fighting bad speech is with more speech, that Twitter's misinformation problems will go away if everyone can speak without being afraid of being censored, because then free and open debate will result in everyone being convinced by the truth. I don't agree with Musk on his judgment here. I don't think he is correct. Um, But that's the moonshot, right? The moonshot is all of Twitter's competitors, all of the other large social networks have ramped up moderation, have taken on the task of being clean and friendly for all. And Musk's bet, his gambit, his, his clearly sincere belief is that doing the opposite is where you'll get success. And how is that belief surviving contact with reality, the reality of actually having to run Twitter the platform, but also Twitter the business? It's interesting, right? We've started to see already, I think, some realisations from him that the plan needs to change before he'd even completed the takeover. One of the very first things we saw that suggested that the deal was imminent was Musk posting on Twitter a long note addressed to the advertisers on the site. And now Elon with a note to advertisers trying to reassure them, saying Twitter obviously cannot become a free-for-all hellscape where (laughs) anything can be said with no consequences, Jim. Promising that Twitter wouldn't become a hellhole, that he wanted it to remain a safe place for everyone, a warm and welcoming social network. Twitter needs advertisers. Advertisers actually do not want to put adverts next to Nazis. Advertisers do not want to put adverts next to visual depictions of graphic violence or sexually explicit content. And Musk, for all that he wants to build the social public square, also has a billion dollars a year of interest that he has to pay on loans that he took out, secured against Twitter to buy the company. He needs revenue. He needs advertisers I think he already is starting to realise why the status quo is what it is. And so what is the status quo at Twitter? What is in Musk's intray? And how is that going to affect his big vision for transforming the platform? He's already clearly being swamped by the details. Uh, 
he changed his his Twitter handle to Chief Twit after he bought the site. He's now changed it again to Twitter Complaints Helpline Operator. <laughs> uh, he is being inundated with these ground level decisions. And Musk being Musk, Musk being a poster at heart, he can't help himself from getting involved, even if that's just occasionally replying, thanks, I'll look into it. He's fired Vijayagade, the Twitter executive who was most associated with this trust and safety work, and also as a result was most associated with the decision to remove Donald Trump from the site, a decision that Elon Musk has regularly cited as kind of an example of the wheels falling off the Twitter train. I do think that it was not correct to ban Donald Trump. I think that was was a mistake. He's trying to have it all. The problem comes when you try and create rules that apply in Zimbabwe and in the United States and in Taiwan and for dissident users in China. All of these problems can't be solved by firefighting. They do actually require you to have what we were talking about earlier, that strong vision of what you want from the site. And I kind of think Musk is currently, perhaps deliberately, distracting himself from the lack of that vision and refusing to acknowledge the tensions that are already apparent. You told me that when Elon Musk set up SpaceX, he made these big claims about what it would be able to do, and people told him that it would never work, and they were wrong. Alex Hearn, are you one of those people now when it comes to Twitter? Are you falling into the trap of writing off Elon Musk? I am. Um, There's no doubt that were this a decade ago, I would be loudly trumpeting all of my sources within the spaceflight industry who had patiently explained to me why reusable rockets were so difficult, why it was such an expensive thing, why they weren't even trying to do it, but were instead aiming to bring down spaceflight costs in other ways. And I'd have been wrong. In this case, I have spent years speaking to people who work in platform safety, who work in Uh, social media advertising, who all agree that the Wild West days of the internet do not scale, that even if you look fondly back on the 90s or the noughties, on days of low moderation, insofar as those worked, and they didn't work for everyone, they worked because the internet was small, because most people weren't there most of the time, and things are different now. But I might be wrong. It might be the case that Elon Musk has actually cracked it and that some combination of his goals to stop kicking people off the site entirely, but to strengthen the tools on Twitter that allow you to personally opt out of seeing content you don't want, results in a social network where everyone is happy and able to post what they want. No one feels censored or silenced but everyone feels warm and welcome because the voices that would make them feel otherwise do not appear on their personal feeds. That's that's Musk's goal. Here are the reasons why I don't think it will work. There's the narrow one, the capability. I don't think it's possible to build a version of a site that keeps 
content that you don't want to see off your feed without making other people feel like they have been censored. But there's also, you know, we talk about platform health. There is societal health. The American view is that broadly, and I stereotype greatly, hate speech is in the eye of the beholder. That the reason why hate speech hurts is its targets see it and it harms them. In Elon Musk's vision of the world, that's how it works. And the way you solve that is by stopping the targets of hate speech from seeing the hate speech. The other view of hate speech, of harmful speech, is that it is speech that causes harm. That's a view that says it doesn't matter whether or not you block the malicious influences from being seen by the people who don't want to see them, that the problem is they're still on your site, they're still speaking to each other. He will have to start addressing these questions. And Elon Musk, with this force of character, with this ability to execute, and with an understanding of the nuances that his previous position had failed to address, perhaps that could create something great. Or he could sell the company for a loss in six months' time because he's got bored. Coming up, what it looks like when a social media platform dies. Hey, I'm Shantae Joseph. I'm a writer and broadcaster and I spend way too much time online. But now those years of scrolling are finally paying off because I'm hosting The Guardian's new pop culture podcast. In each episode, I'm going to get under the skin of the week's biggest stories. If you love pop culture and want to get into how it's shaping and impacting our lives, then you should join me every Thursday, launching on the 3rd of November. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Alex, you mentioned that Musk, of course, is not just the chief tweet or chief complaints officer of Twitter. He also runs other businesses, Tesla and SpaceX. And you mentioned that his role running Twitter might not always work harmoniously with those other jobs. How do you think Twitter might affect those other businesses? I mean, firstly, there's the part-time CEO question, right? Elon Musk is the chief executive of Tesla and pretty hands-on. But Tesla alone is one of the world's largest companies, one of the world's most valuable companies. And it feels like something will start going wrong at Twitter or Tesla if either of those companies receives anything less than 100% of Musk's attention. He's got his fingers in a whole bunch of pies and it, it feels like eventually one of those is going to suffer from the lack of attention. But there's also some more direct interactions. Tesla is a company that sells cars, sells cars around the world, sells cars for a a lot of money. It builds cars around the world. It it spends a lot of money on labor. Twitter is a media company. It is a media company that has aggravated authoritarian nations around the world. It is a media company that is banned in China. And those two things, it feels like, are, are going to come to a head. Tesla needs its Chinese market. It it makes an awfully large proportion of its revenue from selling cars in China to Chinese people. And Twitter has annoyed the Chinese government very directly in recent years by doing things like labeling not only Chinese state-operated media as such, but also Chinese political figures, labeling them as government officials. I am fascinated to know what happens the first time 
Elon Musk is called in to speak to a Chinese government official who complains about a moderation decision on Twitter or complains about Twitter's decision to take down a Chinese bot army or a Chinese information operation, I don't think that this is going to end well. Alex, I'm going to try and keep the joy out of my voice as I ask this, but can Twitter die? Like when so many people are addicted to it, so much politics and journalism plays out on the platform, can a website that's become that vital actually die out? And what would that look like? There are a few end games for Twitter. When people say social network dying, they think of MySpace and Friendster which did genuinely just die. The more people leave, the less valuable that social network is, and that accelerates accordingly. So that's one outcome, right? The MySpace outcome. I don't think that's plausible for Twitter for the reasons that you said. There are people who are addicted to this site, and those communities will be quite resilient. I think that's the outcome for Twitter as well, right? That people who are die-hard news junkies who value a real-time text-based social network will not go anywhere else. Network effects play into this. It's it's hard to build a like-for-like successor to Twitter because it's not like-for-like until everyone has already switched over. The, the third possibility, though, is, is that actually Twitter does stick around, that, that although Musk doesn't rev- revive it and rejuvenate it, he doesn't run it into the ground either. And that's a possibility where basically Twitter remains what it is, which is a place where journalists and politicians go to feel like they're speaking to the country at large and actually speak to a comparatively small cross-section of it. It's a site that never quite gets a handle on moderation, that never quite gets a handle on ease of use, that takes time to learn, but is rewarding for those who do. And it's one that Elon Musk doesn't quite ever create enough of a nudge to force people to leave en masse and kind of continues to hemorrhage money for him until something else happens. Alex, this whole Musk saga is part of a much larger debate the world is having over how much social media can and should be regulated by governments. And that's obviously really fraught because governments can have their own incentives for limiting free speech. But... How good is the alternative, like a billionaire who buys up this platform that's become, unfortunately, a vital force in our democracies, and then tries to figure out the rules as he goes? Where do you think this whole episode leaves us on that bigger question of whose rules should govern the internet? I sort of regret that I don't think it will answer the question of whose rules should, but it will be a very clear demonstrator of whose rules do. Elon Musk thinks he's bought absolute power over Twitter. And one of the things he's going to find out probably this month is that he hasn't. He's bought responsibility for an already extremely regulated platform that is beholden by the laws of more than 100 countries in which it operates. Elon Musk has already been sharply rebuked by the European Union, who has reminded him that in Europe, its rules matter, not his whim. Elon Musk will inevitably end up testifying in front of the US Congress to explain something or other. That's before we even get into some of the really censorious nations where Twitter operates, like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, that also still owns a share in the company. Musk doesn't 
have absolute power over Twitter, Musk has to deal with a hundred plus governments, all of whom believe they have absolute power over Twitter, and actually who probably do have more power over it than him. His life is a juggling act already, and it's not going to get simpler. Alex, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. That was Alex Hearn, The Guardian's UK technology editor, whose work you can follow at theguardian.com. Before we go, there's just a few days until Americans vote in the US midterm elections, and Guardian columnist and the host of Politics Weekly US, Jonathan Friedland, is there, speaking to politicians and voters in the run-up to next Tuesday. The first of his episodes from the US is out now. Search for Politics Weekly US, wherever you listen to Today in Focus. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Alex Atak. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Thank you.